Well, my name is Scott Reevely. I'm part of the pastoral team for New Life Church, and I'm really happy to be uh, with you this morning. Let me start by, uh, first of all, saying thank you. Uh, as you know, the church, I hope you know, the church just finished one of the really most uh, encouraging things that has ever happened to me as a pastor. We um, set out to fill every moment of the first week of 2023 with prayer. And at the stroke of midnight last night, finished that. And uh, I, I think that if there's anything that would give me confidence as a pastor, it's the fact that the church is praying. I think when God wants to do something, he uh, calls his church to pray. And so the fact that you did, the fact that some of you were the first ones in, really, really did encourage me, so I just want to say thank you. We did that because we want to begin the year acknowledging that the church is nothing if not a supernatural organization, that the church is nothing if it is not born of the gospel, empowered by the Spirit trusting in the work of Jesus so that God the Father might be at work in it. It's really important that we don't simply let the church shrink to some human organization that can be managed, that can be uh, run without any supernatural intervention from God at all. And so, that's why we prayed, and that's why I wanted to start by saying thank you for your participation in that, and trust that even though that week is finished, you'll continue to pray. I want to continue to encourage you in that uh, direction. And in order to do that, I want to start with, uh, well, with a little game. Okay, this, uh, this little game, uh, hopefully you have never done this little game before at church. Because the game we're going to play is Invent Your Own Religion. Okay? So hopefully you haven't intentionally done that at church. Anyway, I want you to take just a moment and think about if you were going, if you were going to create your own religion, what would it entail? What would it look like? What would be important for the people who were going to be part of it to do? I think one of the elements you should include, I'm helping you with your game, you see. One of the elements I think that you should include is that you should have a deity, and that's helpful if you have religion, right? You should have a deity that helps people. That'd be a good idea. Maybe you should invent one of those. You need a deity that you could approach and ask him for help, and I suppose in some regard, hope that he would give that to you. And if you're going to include that in this new religion that you're inventing, I'm going to suspect that one of two things is probably happening in your invention here. 
The first is that you think, perhaps, hopefully not any of you, but some of you, thought of a ridiculous genie who has promised to come and grant three wishes. And you've seen enough cartoons to know that you should save that last wish for wishing for more wishes. (laughs) And that is how you would approach this deity. Or, it's probably more likely, really, that you, when you invent this religion, just invented every other religion. Namely, that you created this deity that you would approach for help, and somehow you would have to come along to this God, and you would have to do something to get him in a good mood. You would have to do something so that he would actually listen to you. Like, you'd have to, I don't know, obey him or give money or offer a sacrifice or come in some special way so that he would hear you. I say that because that is what every religion in the world includes. Now, it's a silly exercise, of course, to come to church and invent your own religion. Please don't, please don't let that leave this room. That, that happened this morning. And just see Pastor John come back next week. He's like, how did oh, Pastor Scott has... But um, it was a silly exercise, but if you're honest, and this, this, is, this is the point, if you're honest... Most of us expect to treat God in that same way, don't we? Most of us expect He'll hear us better if we're good. If we try harder, He'll listen a little better. Most of us expect with God, the God of the Bible, the one that we have come here this morning, not to to worship, that we think if we tiptoe really carefully around Him, and He might be a little nicer to us. We come to Him unsure of our standing. Today, is He going to hear me? He didn't seem to hear me last week. Somehow, we, we come hoping that He will be satisfied with our performance or sacrifice. And therefore, will listen to us. Now I say that, that's not the religion that... And it's not the religion that's revealed in the Scripture. The one that we default to all of the time. Truth were told, we expect our prayers to be answered based on the relative quality of our obedience to God. Suppose you can think about it another way. How would you pray differently if Jesus was not in the picture? How would you pray differently if you didn't have a high priest like Hebrews tells us you have? Maybe you would pray the same way. Maybe you wouldn't pray anymore. 
maybe it's never made a difference to you before. Because a lot of us approach God as though it's a negotiation. God, I, you know, I, I'll be really good next week if you'll do this for me. As though Jesus isn't in the picture at all. Now, just in case you think you never do this, okay, maybe you never do. Maybe you're like the one person attending church this morning in the entire world who's never done this. This is really the flavor of every New Year's resolution, isn't it? I'm going to do better this year. And maybe, just maybe, God will help me do better. Wouldn't that be fabulous? And so we screw up our self-effort, and we hope that God will come to our aid. Now, the Bible is very clear that this is not how it works. The Bible is very clear that our prayers are dependent not on our own performance, not on our own success or obedience or sacrifice or good behavior, but on the work of Jesus. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn, if you haven't already, to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read in Hebrews chapter 4 about what Jesus does for you in your prayers. Hebrews chapter 4, I'm going to read again what Frank read earlier, verse 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to notice that what is at stake here is what you already have. We've talked over and over about what it means to believe in the good news of Jesus. Because many of us would start and say, what it means to believe in the good news of Jesus is I get to go to heaven when I die. I want to tell you, when you what it means to believe in the good news that Jesus has died and rose again what that means is that you, right now, this very moment, have a high priest representing you before the Father. To believe the good news, then, is to trust your high priest. What it means for you this morning to believe the gospel, as Christians started this service by talking about the gospel, what it means for you to believe the gospel is for you to pray because you have 
a high priest. So if you have a high priest, then hold fast and draw near. If you don't hold fast and draw near, what good is your high priest? To believe the gospel, in other words, is to act on the gospel. To believe in Jesus is to hold on and to pray. That's what it says there in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest. The very first thing that you should notice here is what you have. Verse 14 starts that way. Verse 15 starts that way. Look at it. It says, since then we have a high priest. Then verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable. In other words, we've got one that's able. You have a high priest. The good news is that you are not starting from a deficit. You are starting with the supreme advantage when it comes to prayer. You have, it says, a high priest. And so the fact that you have a high priest is significant to the writer of Hebrews and I think significant to us. You have Christ, one of the things you have is a high priest. You don't have one because you're on your best behavior. You have a high priest because you believe the gospel. This is the simple application of the good news that you may, you may pray with confidence, period. Because of the work of Jesus. as certain, just as certainly as you have a nose on your face, you have a high priest representing you before God. And if you're like me, you're like, so? I didn't even know I needed one of those. I'm not really into all that, you know, garb breastplates and turbans and whatever. Why do you need a high priest? Well, if you look at the very next verse, chapter 5, verse 1, it tells us why you have a high priest. Every high priest is chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. You need a high priest because you need somebody to act on your behalf before God. Which means you don't go to God and acting on your own behalf. You're not improving yourself. You're not there to try and um, somehow dicker with Him like, I'll do this if you do this. I'll be good if you answer my prayers. You don't have to do that because you have a high priest acting on your behalf. Clearly, what the writer has in mind is the high priests of Israel, of whom Aaron, uh, the brother of Moses, is the the prototyper who was the first one. And 
I mean, the Exodus 29 and so many other places in the Old Testament talk about how that person had to get their act together to go represent uh, the people before God. They had to be clean. They had to be um, purified. So that they might represent the people before God. But you have one that is quite a lot different than that one. Quite a lot better than that one. Let's, let's look at what it tells us about the nature of this high priest. There's, there's quite a long list here if you look at this text. It says, we have a great high priest. Jesus is a great high priest. He's not an average high priest. He's not a normal high priest. He's not a high priest who succeeds at being a high priest because his father was a high priest or because he somehow purifies himself. Look at what it says. He is a great high priest and he is working on your behalf. And if you look at chapter 5, he doesn't go offering for his own sins first because he didn't have any. He isn't appointed because that's the family thing to do. In other words, you have a great high priest. He is so great. He is in a class by himself. You have a great high priest. That's one thing. Next thing you'll notice, this great high priest has passed through the heavens. He's not a normal high priest who might pass through a tent or go around a corner. He is a high priest who passed through the heavens, which indicates, I think, that he began on earth and somehow was raised and passed through the heavens. He was crucified, buried, risen again, and now has passed through the heavens and is at the right hand of the Father. If you recall the, the text from Romans 8 last week, I'm going to go refer to that a couple times this morning because it tells us that who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is He that condemns? It is Christ who died and rose again. This finished work of Jesus prepares Him for His current work, which is interceding for you as your high priest. He started on the ground like us. Now He has passed through the heavens to make intercession for us. Then it tells us who this high priest was. His name is, not was, is. His name is Jesus. When we're told that before in the Christmas story, right? We're also given an explanation. His name is Jesus for, do you remember why? He shall save his people from their sins. That's the kind of priest you have. One who will save his people from their sins. 
In other words, your sins will not stand between you and God any longer because you have Jesus. Not only that, tells us He is the Son of God. God will hear Him in part because He is the Son of God. Now, if that's all you heard, that might be enough to tiptoe. That might be enough to be nervous in His presence. Because who do you have? You have God the Father and you have God the Son and they're ready to hear you. You better come on your best behavior, right? But then what does He say? Then He says, you do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with your weakness. Or to say it positively, you do have a high priest who will sympathize. And so this Jesus, this Son of God, is a sympathizer. And I just want you to think about that. How many times have you wanted somebody to listen to you? How many times have you wanted somebody to actually care that it hurts when fill-in-the-blank happens, right? Jesus does that. He sympathizes. If you're going to make up your own religion, you're not, probably not going to create a, a God who sympathizes. If you did that, if you made up a religion, you'd probably be more like the Stoics who would create a God who didn't feel, a God who didn't have emotions, a God who was apathetic, not sympathetic. And frankly, it would be awful, wouldn't it, to have an apathetic God? Instead, you have one that suffers pathos together with you. That's what it says, even in, again in chapter 5, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. The incarnation was God's choice to come and suffer with you and to sympathize with your weakness. This is another place that I feel like I need to stop for just a second. He came to sympathize with your weakness. You need to notice that the place your prayer starts is with weakness, not strength. We saw that last week in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The Spirit groans for us. He helps us, it says, in our weakness. This is exactly the opposite of that religion that you would invent. Where God would help you because your act is together. Here, he's telling us, God will help you because it's not together. 
God will help you because, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. The weaker you are, the better candidate you are for a high priest to help you in prayer. Let that sink into you. The Christian gospel is good news, not for the strong, but for the weak. The Christian gospel is good news because it insists that there is someone strong and it's not you. It's your high priest who waits for you to come. And so your weakness is what makes you a candidate for the work of Jesus. Not your strength, not your obedience, not your sacrifice, not your good behavior, but your weakness. And just when you think it can't get any better than that, it says, He has been tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. He's been tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. Which would cause me... (coughs) Excuse me, my, the first thing that I would think about is that he was tempted to sneak a bag of Doritos from the pantry just like I am. But that isn't what it means, is it? Because I think what it means is he had real honest-to-goodness temptations. He had real enduring temptations. Think about this. He was tempted like we are, yet without sin. So, you could probably think of temptation as though there was some sort. It was there was some sort of meter that meted it out. I don't know some if any of you are um, Princess Bride fans, but there there was under. You remember the the meter that they used when Wesley was suffering. But you've got this meter, and you're tempted, say, to a 20. You think, oh, I can't endure anymore. And then it gets turned up to 25. And you say, I'm out. And you give in to the temptation, right? Or maybe on a good day, you make it to 30 or 60. What we have with Jesus, because he did not sin, he did not bail out when the meter was on its way up. He felt every temptation all the way to 100. And he still didn't sin. They had to turn off the temptation machine. Because Jesus was tempted in every way to the full force of that temptation like you are, yet without sin. Felt every one of your temptations to the highest degree of intensity, and he still did not fail. Which means, he's not a high priest who has to go take care of his own sin before he can go represent you. He goes on his own merit before the Father, and he pleads for you. Yet, his sympathy, his sympathy comes from the fact that he understands 
your temptation. He understands your suffering. He experienced enough of it that he suffers with you. He is sympathetic. And so you have this uniquely qualified high priest ready to receive you, ready to represent you before God. That's the good news of the Christian gospel. That Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and now is your high priest representing you before God. So what do you do with one of these high priests? What do you do if you've really got a high priest like this? Well, the, the text tells us there are two things that you do. Very, very clear about these two things. Since you have a high priest, hold fast your confession. Since you don't have a high priest who can't be touched, go with confidence to the throne of grace. There are two things. You hold fast the confession. That's the first thing. The end of uh, verse 14. Let us hold fast the confession. So what's a confession? The confession is that you believe in Jesus died and risen again. That you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and King. And it's interesting to me, and I hope it's interesting to you, that the first thing that he tells you to do, if you have this high priest, what do you do? You hold on. You simply hold on. To what? To the confession. To the fact that he is there. He is risen. He is interceding for you. You hang on to that. What does that imply? That implies there is some kind of pressure to let go. There's some kind of temptation not to hold on. Where would that come from? It comes from all kinds of places, wouldn't it? Doesn't seem to be helping. That might be one. Prayed about this before, nothing happened might be because there's persecution. It might be because the, the heat is turned up and if word gets out that you actually believe this, it'll be unpleasant. There's some sort of pressure to disbelieve the confession. Which is interesting to me because I want to go back to the inventing your own religion idea. Because the very thing that I think should never happen if I pray that I would have any pressure in my life. I think if I was going to pray and God was going to hear me, whew, pressure would go away. The persecution would stop. The pain would end. The answers would come. It would be glorious. 
But apparently, that isn't how it works either, is it? You have a high priest, not a genie. You have a high priest who represents you before the Father, and what do you have to do? You have to hang on to that and not let it go. And there's going to be pressure and temptation for you to give up, for you to say, I've had enough. This isn't working for me. And so the very first thing he says, you have a high priest, so hang on. Don't let him go. Keep believing him day in and day out. That's the first thing that we do because we have a high priest. We hang on. The second thing we do is that we draw near the throne of grace with confidence. Verse 16, we draw near the throne of grace with confidence. Because you have a high priest, you don't need to tiptoe. Because you have a high priest, you don't have to worry. You don't have to negotiate. You don't have to get your act together. You can come. You show up and you say your peace because you have a high priest who will represent you. And why do you come with confidence? This is, I mean, it just keeps getting better, doesn't it? In order to receive mercy and to find grace. In order to receive mercy and find grace. That's why we started the service like we did. Many of you weren't in yet, so I'll reread the text. But it said, The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious. So what do you find? When you come, you find that God, don't you? You find that God waiting to hear you because of the work of the high priest. Not because of your own, but because of the work of the high priest. He comes, and when you find him, he's ready to give you mercy and grace. You can expect Maybe not the relief of the pressure. Maybe not the disappearance of the persecution or the evaporation of the pain. But you can expect that you will find mercy and grace in that moment. Now, it is very religious to say you're going to find mercy and grace. I want you to find mercy and grace. Mercy and grace is good. But why do you find mercy and grace? To help in time of need. Or literally, you will find it timely. The mercy and grace will be on time. 
Not your time, sadly, but his time at the right time, at the good time, literally. You will find support that's on time. And so whatever it is that you bring, recognizing your high priest is there ready to take care of you before a God who is merciful and gracious, and you go there and he takes care of you, what are you going to get? You're going to get timely help. You need help when you need it. And of course, that kind of timely help looks different in all kinds of different situations. I just was telling my daughter a story that we used to pass around when I was in seminary where all of us students would pray that the Lord would provide for us. And all of my friends got scholarships and I got jobs. And it looks differently. You get different things, but they're timely and they, um, they happen when they need to happen because you have a high priest representing you before God. So I want to finish up here by applying what it is that we've seen. First thing, really I want to post to you as a question, and that's this. Do you believe the gospel? Or have you invented a religion like all the others? A religion that says, you've got to get your act together before you can come. You've got to, the reason he's not hearing you is because you're not behaving well enough. Is that the story you're telling yourself? That is not a Christian story. That is not the good news of the gospel. So the first thing that we need to apply and the first place we need to go is back to the good news to say, do we believe really that we have a high priest who's representing us, doing the work before God that needs to be done so that we might be accepted? Do we believe that? Because If you have a high priest, you have everything you need already to be successful in prayer. It's not like you have everything you need except for good behavior. You have everything you need, period, already to be successful at prayer. One of the ways you'll know that you believe the gospel is whether you believe that God hears your prayers because of your weakness or because of your strength. Does He hear you because you come broken and weak? Or does He hear you because you come improving and promising? The good news says you have a high priest. And your access to God the Father is based on Him, not on you. So if you have to get your act together a little more so God will hear you, then you need to go back to the gospel and believe it again. Because you may simply appeal to your sympathetic high priest on account of your weakness and find grace to help in time of need. 
And then the second thing that I would ask you with regard to applying this is simply, do you pray? Do you pray? We just completed, as I mentioned, our corporate goal of starting the new year with a week of prayer. We're going to have other calls to prayer as a church, for sure. When it comes time, will you be one of the first ones in then? Will you be one of the first ones in then because between now and then, you're coming and coming and coming and coming and coming and coming to the throne of grace with confidence because of your great high priest? He has passed through the heavens so that you might receive mercy and grace to find help in time of need. And so if you will approach, you may do so with confidence and he will hear you because he has done all the qualifying work. He is the high priest, not you. And so all that remains for you to really believe this is to come, is to pray. So you don't believe this once in hopes that you'll go to heaven. You believe this every single day because that's that's when your high priest is active every single day, representing you before God. So let's do that right now and pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a, what a promise. I mean, how, how many times are we going to open our Bibles and find things that are too good to be true? Things that are too good that we wouldn't even invent them if we could. So, Father, I praise you that everything that I need, everything that we need to have our prayers heard by you and the offer of grace and mercy extended without qualification has been done by Jesus. So Lord, would you help us to have faith for this new year? Would you help us to believe in Jesus anew today? And I pray this because he is my great high priest who's passed through the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Amen.